I am not black. I mean, that's what the world calls me, but it's not me. I didn't come out of my mother's womb saying, hey, everybody, I'm black. No, I was taught to be black. And you were taught to call me that, along with whatever you call yourself. It's just a label. See, from birth, the world force feeds us these labels. And eventually, we all swallow them. We digest and accept the labels, never, ever doubting them. But there's one problem. Labels are not you, and labels are not me. Labels are just labels. But who we truly are is not skin deep. See, when I drive my car, no one would ever confuse the car for me. Well, when I drive my body, why do you confuse me for my body? It's my body. Get it? Not me. Let me break it down. See, our bodies are just cars that we operate and drive around. The dealership we call society decided to label mine the black edition, yours the Irish or white edition. And with no money down, 0% APR, and no test drive, we were forced to own these cars for the rest of our lives. Forgive me, but I fail to see the logic or pride in defining myself or judging another by the cars we drive. Because who we truly are is found inside. Listen, I'm not here to tell you how science has concluded that genetically we're all mixed and race in the human species doesn't exist or how every historian knows that race was invented in the 15th century to divide people from each other and it has worked perfectly. No, I'm not here to lecture. I just want to ask one question. Who would you be if the world never gave you a label? Never gave you a box to check? Would you be white, black? Mexican, Asian, Native American, Middle Eastern, Indian? No, we would be one. We would be together. No longer living in the era of calling human beings black people or white people. These labels that will forever blind us from seeing a person for who they are, but instead seeing them through the judgmental, prejudicial, artificial filters of who we think they are. And when you let an artificial label define yourself, then my friend, you have chosen smallness over greatness and minimized yourself. It's always us versus them. So the answer to war, racism, sexism, and every other ism is so simple that every politician has missed it. It's the labels. We must rip them off. Isn't it funny how no baby is born racist, yet every baby cries when they hear the cries of another, no matter the gender, culture, or color, proving that deep down we were meant to connect and care for each other. That is our mission, and that is not my opinion. That is the truth in a world that has sold us fiction. Please listen, labels only distort our vision, which is why half of those watching this will dismiss it or feel resistance and conflicted. But human beings were not meant to be slapped with labels like groceries and supermarkets. DNA cannot be regulated by the FDA. We were meant to be free, and only until we remove them all and stop living and thinking so small will we be free to see ourselves and each other for who we truly are. That video hits at the heart of a truth that so many people have missed about God for generation after generation throughout time. The truth is that God embraces all people equally. God embraces all people with equal value, no matter what their human label, no matter what labels life has put on them. And, and it seems like God's people sometimes have a hard time catching up to this truth about God. And Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, was confused about this, living in a time and a culture when prejudice ruled and God really had to yank him out of his deception and help him to see that God truly does value all people equally. And it's found in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now finally realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but 
but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what's right. Sadly, as the video captured, we live in a world filled with and often driven by prejudice. It's all about, you know, our labels, how we see ourselves, how we see others, and what we label each other as. We, we see through the lens of labels who's in and who's out, who's accepted and who's rejected. This is not how God sees people. God embraces all people with equal value, no matter what their human label. And in fact, here's the definition of prejudice, the best I can craft it. It's the failure to see all people as God sees them. That's prejudice. It's, it's the failure to see all people as God sees them with equal value. You see, prejudice sees people through the wrong lens. It prejudges them without God's truth. Prejudice sees certain people or groups of people as having less value and as a result, demeaning them, dismissing them, rejecting them, hating them, seeking to hurt them at times and, and always withholding help from them. Prejudice is destructive and it's alive and well in the 21st century and it's a huge issue for those of us who are Christ followers. It has always been an issue of humanity. It has always been an issue where those who truly want to know God and his love had to probe and deal with it. In his letter, James, we're calling him Jim for 21st century relevance, addresses this very tough topic, prejudice, head on. And he tells us some things about it. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through James 2, the the portion of this part of his letter that deals with prejudice several times and, and get deeper and deeper into the look that he's trying to give us into this horrific issue. He, he tells us that prejudice is contrary to Christ himself. And if we're going to follow Christ, if we're really going to, to pursue his truth and live out his design for us, then we have to understand prejudice is at odds with it. It's contrary to Christ. In James 2.1, Jim says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, as, as people who, who believe that Jesus is Lord, as people who've experienced his mercy and his transforming grace in your life, don't show favoritism. And Jim's simply saying... God so loved the world, how can those of us who follow him not love like he loves? Prejudice is contrary to Christ, but then James takes another step and says, all prejudice is contrary to creation itself, to how God designed us, to, to what he planned for us. In James chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, he paints this picture really well. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor at our feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not discriminated among yourselves? He's saying, haven't you turned God's value and creation upside down? He, he made us all in the image of God, and now you're discriminating and judging and devaluing and dismissing. It's absolutely contrary to creation. And then Jim takes us another step and says, prejudice is contrary to common sense. It's just not contrary to Christ and how God created us. It's, it's contrary to common sense. It makes no sense at all. And he says this in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you're insulting the poor. And what he, He's saying, look, don't you understand God's choosing the very people you're dismissing and demeaning? That's not going to be good for you. And then he goes further and says, and is it not the rich who are actually exploiting you and hurting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court and Aren't they the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Isn't it the rich who are destroying your lives and demeaning the one you call Savior? It makes no sense at all that you would dismiss 
those whom God is choosing and that you would embrace those who are dismissing you. It doesn't make sense. Prejudice makes no sense, Jim tells us. And then he goes one step further and I think he puts the final stab in the heart of prejudice. He says it's contrary to compassion itself. It's contrary to everything God is about. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, prejudice, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. He says compassion and prejudice can't coexist. You, you can't say you love and at the same time demean and dismiss. It, it doesn't work. And so Jim pulls no punches here. He just says, prejudice is sin. It robs us of the life of God. It robs us of the fullness that only God can give us. It's sin. And what James tells us is if we're going to experience life as God designed it, if we're going to experience God's best in life, then, then we have to move beyond our prejudices. We have to literally take the journey beyond them. They're natural in us. They're inbred in us. They've become a part of us. And we need to move beyond them. And we need to learn to embrace all people equally. Because that's what God does. So if we're going to, if we're going to do this, then Jim tells us how. And easier said than done. But these are principles that can truly transform who we are as individuals, as a community, as a people, as a race called humanity. Jim tells us that if we're going to move beyond prejudice and learn to embrace all people equally, then we have to, and this is where it starts, we have to see prejudice for what it is. We have to see it for what it is. We have to paint the picture. We have to stop glossing over it. We have to be able to recognize it. We have to recognize it for what it is. And the first thing he tells us, he just jumps right into it. He says, he says prejudice is, is a superficial perspective on life. It's, it's shallow. He says, it, I mean, you, you can't judge the content of a person's life by whether they wear a ring or not. I mean, he gets right into this. He says, that's superficial. That's ridiculous. You, you can't judge the inward person by the outward stuff. I, I loved how the video said it that we watched on labels. They said, you, you're judging a person by what they look like rather than who they really are. And, and it's so shallow. And you know, we, we live in a world where so much judgment and prejudice exists in ethnicity. In fact, when you think of prejudice, you think of ethnicity. You think of black and white and the many other ethnic problems that are in this world and, and it's just highlighted. It's almost you can't get past it. And I have to tell you, this is one of the scourges of humanity. That one ethnic group would hold another in low esteem simply because of ethnicity. It's just ludicrous. It's just wrong. It's destructive. And it needs to be fixed. But you know... Ethnic prejudice isn't the only prejudice there is. And I, I don't mean at all to dismiss or demean the, the gravity of and the weight of and the tragedy of racial prejudice because it is all those things, but, but prejudice goes way beyond ethnicity because we, we prejudge without truth. We dismiss people in just horrible judgment based upon all kinds of surface things. Don't we have prejudices about what people have and don't have? Sure we do. I mean, we, we have prejudices against the rich if we're poor, and we have prejudices against the poor if we're rich, and, and everything in between, it just exists. It, it's also prejudice exists in what people have done. Very often, you know, whether they're a success or failure, we have prejudices against these things. Like, oh, the world says they're successful, but they've had to compromise and lie, and they've, they've scraped their successes by pulling other people down or failures. They're, they just don't work. They're poor because of this. And we, we, we're prejudiced about what people have done and not done, what, 
what they look like. Don't we live in a world that has absolute prejudices over what people look like? Yes. I mean, this is where we need to really start feeling sorry for those of you who are blonde. I mean, really. I mean, people just prejudge you. If you're blonde, your IQ must be low. You know, that kind of thing. And we, we prejudge by what people appear like, and that's just the funny blonde kind of thing, but, but it's not so funny to someone who's been treated badly like that. But what about the appearance of size and how we have prejudices about that? We have prejudice based upon gender. It's just a horrible thing that based upon something that God intended for such good our different genders to to become something that causes discrimination and bigotry and prejudice it's just wrong we we were prejudiced even regarding religion i mean do you know who holds to religious beliefs it's people and and god sees all people as equal yes it's true that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself said it, but, but he held in absolute high esteem and value all who walked in a different way. Doesn't mean he agreed with them, doesn't mean he affirmed them, but, but he held them in value. You see, when we're prejudiced, Jim says, we're shallow. But it gets worse than that because he goes further. He says, we have to see prejudice for what it is, and prejudice is... It's a serious problem. It's not just a problem for a few. It's a problem for all. He, and he kind of gives us many layers to what a problem is. He says it's a problem because prejudice creates damaging divisions among people. I mean, it just it creates destructive divisions among people. I mean, separating the rich from the poor and black from white and all these people of different economic structures from each other is just destructive and and we see that that division is one of the great evils on this planet in the beginning Adam and Eve were created for intimacy and unity with God to walk hand in hand with God and for intimacy and unity with each other to walk hand in hand with each other but but sin created division and so they were separated from God, and so they no longer experienced what only God can give, life and joy and significance and value. And then they were separated and divided from each other. And instead of walking hand in hand with each other, they hid from each other and blamed each other and attacked each other and started destroying each other. And, and it passed on to their children, Cain and Abel, where Cain was prejudiced against his brother for what his brother accomplished, and so he killed him. And sadly... Here in this world, even in the 21st century, aren't we still experiencing the same division? We've inherited the same division and prejudice. Prejudice plays into it. Jesus, though, you need to know, please hear this. Jesus came to change all of that. He didn't come to advance it. He didn't come to add labels. He came to change the prejudice and division that ruled this world. And this is why Jesus hung in life with the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the people who were held and dismissed from the mass of culture. Jesus hung with the poor and the sick and the rejected of the world and, and religion of his day condemned him for it. And then not only did Jesus hang with the poor, sick, and rejected during his life, but he hung in death with them as well. And the reason was he was seeking to make unity possible again with God and with each other. He, he hung on that cross because the wages of our sin that divides us from God and each other is death, but, but he died in our place so that we could experience intimacy again and unity again and, and we could walk hand in hand again. And that's what he prays in his last prayer in John 17. You can read it on your own. He's saying, God, make us one again. Make us one again. And then Jim goes even further. He says, man, prejudice is a serious problem because it stems from impure motives. It's, it's not pure. 
It's not something to be celebrated. In James 2, the end of verse 4, he says, prejudice judges with evil thoughts. Prejudice comes from the darkness that resides within. It's, it's if you really want to know the truth, rooted in insecurity. Do you know what prejudice does? It shows how small a person feels. Because to demean and dismiss someone else, to prejudge them without truth, to not see them through eyes of equal value as God does, is simply a means that a person can, can try to make themselves feel larger in a world where they feel so small themselves. The people who purposely hurt and reject others are people who are trying to cover their own hurt and rejection. But this is good news for those of us who have experienced the weight of prejudice in our way, and I don't want to pretend that I've experienced it to the level of many of you. I, I've experienced it in my own ways, in my own place, but some of you, your whole life has been defined by dismissal and rejection and prejudice. And I want you to know that the people who purposely hurt and reject you are, are wrong, no matter what kind of spiritual face they put on or what kind of mystical voice they use. And so when you experience prejudice, rather than focusing on what these messed up people have done to you, you should focus on what Christ has done for you. Yes, people exclude other people, but Jesus invites and includes everyone. Yes, there are people who try to keep you down, but Jesus is trying to lift you up and help you to soar. Jim goes further and he says, prejudice is a serious problem because it's based on faulty values. It's based upon values that are contrary to God. It, God doesn't look at rich and poor. He looks at the value of the person and prejudice prejudges the truth. It, it attaches values, improper values to people and it's wrong. And then Jim goes further and he says, prejudice puts us at odds with God. In James 2, 5 through 6, he says, God's choosing the poor, but prejudice rejects them. And, and God's judging those who reject him and put themselves in the place of God, as many of the rich back then were doing. And, and yet you're embracing them. Prejudice puts you at odds with God. And it's not good to be at odds with God. And then Jim goes one step further and he says, prejudice is a violation of God's law. He says it violates God's law of love, and he calls it what it is, sin. And you know what's really sad? So many people who abide in the darkness of prejudice are denigrating other people for what they do and don't do. It's ridiculous. Whereas prejudice, when it's recognized for what it is, is contrary to everything Jesus stands for and has no place in the life of those who would follow him. No place. And then James tells us that, that if you're really going to understand prejudice for what it is, you have to understand that it's a self-destructive practice. So, you know, people are in their prejudice, they're trying to destroy others, but what they're really doing is destroying themselves. I look at how James says it in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged, because we're all going to be judged by God and held to account. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh. He's saying God is willing to give mercy to anyone, but the person who is unwilling to be merciful will never experience mercy themselves. And this isn't saying that you earn God's mercy by being merciful. It's saying that when you've experienced God's mercy, you can't help but share that mercy with others. And so anyone who's not merciful has never yet experienced mercy. When someone lives in and speaks in prejudice, they're simply declaring that they've yet to truly understand mercy in their own lives themselves. This is unbelievable. Do you notice how quiet it is in here? <laughs> For those of you at our regional campuses, I mean, you might be hooping it up, but not here, man. These people are dead serious about this deal. And you know why it gets so quiet? Because every one of us owns this. 
This is indicting. This is deep. It goes deep into who we are. It goes deep into what we've done. It goes deep into every area of our life. And all of us know that we've compromised in this area ourselves, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. This is not an easy topic. This is not a gingerly taken topic. This is not a comfortable topic. This is tough. And I mean, it weighs in on all of us. But Jim tells us you don't have to exist in the darkness of prejudice. You, in Jesus' name, can come out. But if you're going to do it, once you understand what it is, then you have to make dramatically different choices. If we're going to overcome prejudice, we must make dramatically different choices in our lives. I mean, we do. And, and Jim kind of outlines for us a couple. Uh, choice number one, he shares, is if we're, going to, uh, if we're going to move beyond our prejudice and learn to embrace all people equally like God's designed us to, then we have to admit our guilt. Choice one, admit our guilt. And he says it. We've all done it. We've all sinned. It's betrayal of everything that God stands for. And every one of us has done it. Whether it's on the issue of race or appearance or economy or religion or how someone's failed and you haven't failed, every one of us has stood in judgment of someone else not based upon truth. Every single one of us has dismissed someone because of something that's different from us. Every one of us. And until we admit our guilt, we can never experience the new life he has for us. And I always love a prejudice is one of those things that we don't like to admit. And so what we do is we pick an area of our life where we don't think we're prejudiced and we declare ourselves as prejudice-free, right? This is how we are. And, but, but we betray ourselves with our words because if you ever heard someone say, you know, I'm not prejudiced much, that means you're prejudiced. And I have to admit, there are some areas of my life where I have not, through my experience, through my family heritage, through all the circumstances of my life, I haven't adopted certain prejudices. Like, and I'll be as honest as I can, race is not a big issue with me as far as prejudice. I, I, I've not had that, but there are issues of prejudice in my life. And one of them deals with economy. I, wasn't, I was raised in a fairly high middle-class home with a very successful dad who was born into poverty, but he, he, he put himself through school and put himself through college and put himself through law school, and he, he did all this stuff, and he became successful. And, a, and, and I was raised with this idea that if a person wants to, they can overcome the circumstances of their birth. And that was the, that's how I was raised. That's what I saw, but, but you know... That's not always true, because I've had the privilege of traveling to Zambia and Nigeria, and I've had the privilege of getting very involved in the inner city of some of our cities in this country, including Detroit, and you know, some people have been given absolutely no advantage whatsoever, no matter how hard they try to get out. But because I have this, this kind of historical prejudice, it's been easy for me to to at times walk by a poor homeless person who's begging and to think if that person, you know, there's, there's a job opening at McDonald's. That's prejudging without truth. It's, I, I've actually had this thought. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. I've had this thought, you know, did you know there are one or two people on this planet who beg and actually make a good living off it, you know? There are a couple. But like, you know, and so I walk by and go, oh, they're probably driving a BMW. They're just hiding it right now. You know, it's like, in a, and I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But, you know, let's say that's true of one or two people out of the seven billion on this planet. Should that define my view of them? No. And yet I'm guilty. Are, are, can I ask you, are you guilty? Yeah. And we have to admit our guilt. That's what James says. Look what 1 John 1, 9 says will happen when we admit our guilt. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all this unrighteousness. We have to admit our guilt. We're guilty of this issue. We're guilty. We're the problem. Prejudice is placing ourselves above 
above others, kind of like we're in the place of God, deciding who's valuable, who's not. And the bad news is we've all done it, but the good news is God still values us all equally. But in valuing us, he doesn't deny the reality of our sinfulness. In fact, his love doesn't keep him from addressing where our choices are wrong and messed up and destructive and evil. In fact, his love motivates him to tell us the truth. For all have sinned and fall short of my glory. You've blown it. You've messed up. Until we acknowledge our sin, we can't be free of it. We will be divided from God and each other. So our first choice is to admit our guilt. The, the choice number two, if we're going to move beyond prejudice and learn to embrace all people equally, is that we must find our identity in Christ. We must choose to find our identity in Christ. Jim starts chapter two this way. He says, hey, brothers, those of you in the family of God, those of you who really believe that Jesus is the glorious Lord, that he is the one worthy of worship, the only famous one, that he is the creator of this world, those of you who've experienced the transforming power of his grace and mercy in your life, the full benefit of his death, burial, and resurrection, you should never show favoritism. You shouldn't be prejudiced. In other words, if you find your identity in Christ, you will no longer see people in view of their labels, their human labels. Sadly, many believers have found many things in Christ. Many of us have found things in Christ. We've found forgiveness. We've found hope. We've found some purpose. We've found some help. We've found some promises. We've found some joy. We've found some peace in Christ. These are beautiful things, but unfortunately, many people who found all of these things in Christ haven't yet found their identity in Christ. They still see themselves, though Christians, through the label that they've been given. I'm, I'm poor, I'm black, I'm white, I'm rich, I'm educated, I'm worthless, I'm valuable, I'm this, I'm that. And they see themselves through the label instead of through Christ. And it's destructive. In fact, many people have turned Christianity into just another label. Did you know that? Christian suckers. <laughs> Christian, deal with it. Something to live up to, something to identify with, something you can tag on to. Hey, I go to church. I'm a Christian. Hey, I was born in America. I'm a Christian. Hey, I was Catholic. Nuns busted my knuckles. I'm a Christian. And it's all about labels. But Christianity isn't a label. Christianity is an entirely new identity. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. No, these aren't the labels that define us anymore. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, which is how it was meant to be. One with God, one with each other. Prejudice has created divisions which has destroyed us. But Jesus comes and he removes the labels and allows us to walk together again. In Jesus, all of life's labels fall off. In Jesus, we're no longer the sum total of our ethnicity or gender or accomplishments or associations or appearance or bank accounts. In Jesus, we're no longer defined by labels like failure, loser, unlovable, cheater, addict, or unworthy. In Jesus, instead, we get the opportunity to enjoy life together with God and each other. Now listen, this is really important. In Jesus, we have the privilege of taking steps with each other instead of stepping on each other. When we make the choice to find our identity in Christ, it changes everything. And yet isn't it interesting how little things seem to have changed? There's another choice. If we're going to truly move beyond prejudice and start seeing each other through eyes of equality, then choice three is we have to adjust our view. We have to adjust our whole view. James 2.5 says, God chose the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith to inherit his kingdom. I mean, how many of us have that view? How many poor people have the view of, wow, God's chosen me? 
I'm a part of his kingdom. How many people of means look at the poor and go, wow, they're the lucky ones. I mean, see, it's like we view things so much through the eyes of our faulty values, we miss the whole gig. 1 Samuel 16 says it straight up. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know what he's saying? The same thing that video said earlier. It's not the car we drive. It's who we are inside that car. It's not the label we wear. It's our heart. Like it or not, apart from Christ, every one of us has expressed prejudice in our lives. We've all committed the sin of prejudice. But, but once we're in Christ, now listen, once we're in Christ, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. We, we can't allow prejudices to divide us from people anymore, to keep us from valuing them and caring about them and seeking to help them, sharing Jesus with them. It, it should be our goal to show Jesus' love and tell his truth to all equally the most fallen and failed to the most successful and seemingly productive, we, we should want to genuinely love and tell them the truth equally. But as with Jesus, the, the love and the truth doesn't ignore the reality of sin. I mean, when we love and tell the truth to people, we're, we're not dismissing that there are right things and wrong things Love and truth doesn't ignore what is true versus what is a lie. And this is, I think, where we make huge mistakes in our view of prejudice. You see, those who genuinely love and value others, those who genuinely love and value others, who aren't prejudging without the truth, who aren't living in prejudice, they tell the truth even when it hurts. When you genuinely love and value another person, you speak truth to them even when it hurts. That's what Jesus did. He, he spoke in love truth to the sinners of his day and to the failures of his day and to those who were compromising God's morality in his day. And he didn't do it because he was dismissing them. He did it because he was embracing them. Those who don't genuinely love and value others, have no problem lying. Those who don't genuinely love and value others tell people what they want to hear. We're living in a world that says it's prejudice to speak the truth, it's rejection to speak the truth, but the greatest prejudice in the world is to say, I don't care about you enough to tell you the truth. I care more about my comfort than I do you. That's the great immorality in our world. You see, that's what Satan does. He, he devalues us to such an extent that he lies to us unabashedly. In John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says, you belong to your father the devil and you, won't, you want to carry out your father's desires. You, he was a destroyer, a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For There's just no truth in him because when there's no love, there's no truth, you see. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and, and the father of lies. Now, during this talk, depending on your past experiences, you've had different thoughts about what I've been sharing, all of you. All of us have different past experiences, different views of the world, and so we've had different thoughts about the things that I've been sharing. I kind of picture this auditorium in cartoon format. <laughs> Sorry, this is one of the ways I get through what I do. And uh, <laughs> in cartoon format, I see little bubbles over every one of your heads, you know? You know, cartoons where what's being said is kind of drawn out with a bubble, and all of you have these bubbles over your head. Some of you scare the heck out of me, by the way, but that's a whole other issue. We're thinking different things. Some of you are really worried about where I'm going with this talk. You're afraid it's going to start creating tension in your life in certain areas that you hold dear. And others of you are going, it's about time he gives a talk like this. And 
it's really exciting to see where he's going to go and, and everything in between. And this is where we need to be careful not to draw the wrong conclusion from the truth that God values everyone equally. It's true that prejudice is wrong. The failure to see all people as God sees them with equal value is absolutely wrong. It's wrong to reject someone because they're different, to withhold love and truth from them. It's wrong to share truth without love because then you're using truth as a way to demean and dismiss and devalue someone. And so many Christians use the truth to brutalize other people and that is not like Christ. But, but it's not prejudiced to, to believe God's truth. It's not prejudiced or wrong to believe that there are things that are morally right in an absolute sense and morally wrong in an absolute sense, irregardless of what culture says or culture thinks. It's not prejudiced or wrong to share those truths, even in a world that disagrees with them, and Jesus is proof. Jesus shared truth in love that contradicted everything embraced by the culture in which he walked, and it wasn't because he was prejudiced, it was because he was love. It's, it's not prejudice or wrong to share truth and genuine love when we share it to help, not to hurt. It's not prejudice or wrong to believe God's truth that that all of us have failed and all of us have sinned. And it's not prejudice to lovingly share that truth and then to share Jesus as the one and only answer to the sin problem. I know there are a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus and there are a lot of people who believe in other messiahs and other religions, but the act of believing in something doesn't make it true. And to share what Jesus shared, that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no one's ever going to know the Father but by him, is not prejudice and wrong, it's loving and honest. It's not prejudice or wrong to love someone so much that you tell them the truth so that you can help them find what they're ultimately looking for, what only Jesus can give them, life and life to the full. And In fact, this is the whole point, isn't it? to love people enough to tell them the truth. And so that leads us to choice four. If we're going to move beyond prejudice and start seeing people as God does, we need to change our attitude from one of self-love to love of others, as James says, adhering to the royal law of love. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's what prejudice does. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, and therein is the point. Hey, here at Northridge, we're, we're committed to a 16-word mission. You can't come here long without seeing it. We, we're committed to waking the world up to Jesus, to showing them his love, telling them his truth, and involving them. That's that's what we're absolutely committed to. But here's what we desperately need to understand. We can't fulfill these 16 words through prejudice. Can't do it. Because prejudice rejects the people who are yet to be awake to Jesus. Prejudice dismisses the very people who need to be loved. Prejudice discounts the value of people that need to hear the truth. Prejudice doesn't involve people, it excludes people, you see? So this can't be done with any living prejudice in us. On the contrary, we have to move beyond our prejudices. We move beyond all the labels that divide us and, and instead learn to embrace each other equally. We need to adopt Jesus' view and values instead of continuing to perpetuate the problems of this world. And... and this is what we're desperately trying to do at Northridge. And we're not perfect at it, and we've got flaws and brokenness, but let me just tell you, this is why we're seeking as a church community to move outside of the small world we naturally live in and, and show God's love to the world, especially to the marginalized and disenfranchised. What, what you're looking at here is video of, of some of the ministries of the Detroit Rescue Mission. 
And you might never even heard of it, but the Detroit Rescue Mission is one of the great ministries on the planet. It's the largest rescue mission in America, and it's a place that is there as a last resort to the people who are being marginalized by everyone and have nothing left. And it's one of the many ministries we as a church support financially, but more than that, support an active ministry. People in our community are actively invested in this ministry, and we're seeking to advance this partnership even more. Often people in the circumstances of those who end up at the Detroit Rescue Mission feel like, because the world treats them like, they don't matter. Can I make this declaration, please? They do matter. They matter to God, and they should matter to us. And, and I have found... I have found one of the easiest ways to breed greater prejudice is to stay as far away from the marginalized as possible, to live in our little holy huddles, our comfortable little cathedrals, our comfortable little families, and avoid any contact with these kind of people. And what it does is it breeds an even greater prejudice. But I've also found that the easiest way to defeat our prejudice is to get involved in the lives of those we tend to marginalize, to step into their lives and step into their world and that's what God wants us to do and we're trying to do as a community. And so if you're ready and willing to begin moving beyond prejudice and moving beyond labels to embracing all people equally like God does, then, then you know there's a first step, right? And, and the first step is pretty simple. You, you have to take the label off. It's time to move beyond labels. But, it, but it's, I wish it was as easy as just tearing this off my chest. I wish it was that easy. It's not, but, but it is doable. As we've seen already through what Jim has given us in his letter, we, we can remove the label when we, when we admit our guilt. When we all acknowledge, even if we've been on the receiving end of great prejudice, we admit, yeah, I'm prejudiced too. Different things, different ways, but yeah, me too. We have to admit our guilt. And, and as we've seen, we have to then find our identity in Christ. My, I am not the label I've been given. I'm a child of God, a, a saved one of Jesus. And when we do admit our guilt and find our identity in Christ, you know what happens? The label falls off. It just goes away. We start seeing ourselves differently. And I want to encourage each and every one of you, whether you're here in Plymouth or at one of our regional campuses or watching somewhere around the world, I want to encourage you. And this is not just for a few. This is for all. This is not just for non-believers. This is for believers. I want to encourage you to take the step of ripping that label off. If you've never trusted Jesus, then... The way you do that is to find forgiveness in him and find hope in him and find your new identity in him, the old gone, the new come. Let him change you by his death, burial, and resurrection. Give him your sin and receive his life. But if you're already a believer, the way you rip the label off is by finding your identity in him. God, every day I wake up and I see myself through the label that the world has put on me. I see myself through the label of being a failure or I see myself as through the label of being disenfranchised or marginalized or poor or black or white or rich or educated or Baptist, God forbid, or just kidding. Or I see myself through some other label. And I no longer want to see myself through that label. I'm not going to make Christianity a label. I want to see myself through Jesus because when I see myself through his eyes, I'm valued I'm loved, I'm significant, I'm a child of God, and I can treat everyone else the same. And so before I finish this talk and we move into worship, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we pray, if you're ready to take a step into Jesus, whether for the first time or renewing your identity in him, pray with me. In your heart, just say, Jesus, I, I admit my guilt. I have sinned against you in so many ways. I do harbor prejudice in my life, I've, I'm guilty. 
And, and God, I, I know you died on the cross to forgive my sin. I know you, you rose again to give me new life. And so I'm turning to you to forgive me as I confess my sin, to give me new life and help me to see myself through your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed with me just before we move into worship, I, I want to encourage you to let us know. We, we want to help support you as you take steps in your relationship with God, but to support you, we need to know that you're taking those steps. And so if you're in one of our campus settings, uh, all you have to do is take the program you've been given and rip out that connection card. It's so easy to do and, and fill it out. And then on the bottom, there are two statements that you can consider. The first is that you prayed for the first time to receive Jesus. If you just did, check that first box. And maybe you, you said, I, I want to find my identification in him. I'm renewing my, my, my faith in him. Check that second box. And then when you leave, there are boxes at every exit. Just throw it in there and we're going to send you information about next steps. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next step button and we'll do the same thing for you. And then once we admit our guilt and, and we start moving into this life of Christ, finding our identity in Christ, then we adjust our view and we change our attitudes. And you know what happens, it's crazy. We no longer see others through their labels, we see them through Christ. You're not my black or white brother or sister, you're my brother or sister. You're not my poor or rich brother and sister, you're my brother and sister. You're not my religious or irreligious brother and sister, you're my brother and sister, you're, you're not above me or below me, you're, you're walking with me, you're, at the foot of the cross all the ground is level. I mean this is world changing friends, the more involved we become with the marginalized, the less we live in labels and and the more we live in God's love. And, and here's the truth I want you to get. God's love is bigger than life's labels. Stop seeing yourself through the label and start seeing yourself through God's love. And my prayer is that his love will become the only label that defines us. And if it does, it will begin a new day in each of our lives. It will begin a new day in this church family and it will begin a new day in our world, and, and that day, that day makes worshiping Jesus the point. And so let's worship him now, the God who loves you, us, and the world.